I'm Derek Wayne. I'm a writer, director, producer. I'm currently based in New York City, but I was born in Saigon and I grew up in um, Southern California. I'm living in New York since 1997. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. What does it mean to be Vietnamese to you? You know, that's a, that's a pretty heavy question, to be quite honest. Um, and um, I think that changes for me a lot every day, almost, you know? I think that um, what it means to be Vietnamese is also a reflection of how I see myself, you know? And, um, and, it, and it changes quite a bit. And how I feel about uh, being Vietnamese is different from what I, I feel about it like 10 years ago, then it's different than right. what I feel now, you know? But I think that one of the things that really jumps out at me is, you know, it, it means to be creative, you know? Um, I think that throughout history, um, Vietnamese people have had to be creative in order to survive really, you know? Um, whether it is through our storytelling or the creative ways to, be innovative in, you know, and adjustable to the wars that have, you know, affected us, uh, the colonialism that has affected us, um, and the migration to other, other places in the world when, you know, some of us feel that our country disappeared, you know, after a war. So, um, I find that, uh, you know, the Vietnamese diaspora has really inspired me creatively. You know, a lot of my work has um, been informed by that, you know, and, um, and that inspiration and creativity has been um, something that, um, that has been an endless, endless supply of inspiration, you know? So, yeah, I think it's, I, for me, creativity really, really does float at the top of when I, when I think about what it means to be Vietnamese, you know? I had Ocean on, Ocean Vung on a few weeks ago, and he said that parents' generation surviving is not an accident. You know, you just don't uh, survive yeah. accidentally. There, right. there needs to be a lot of innovation and creativity involved mm -hmm. in arriving or getting out of the country and, you know, making your way here and landing here and thriving here. Yeah takes a lot of uh, creative juices. Yeah. I, I mean, he's, he's, for one thing, he's incredible. I just love his work and I think he's an incredible speaker. Um, but it, 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 you know, one of the things that I think about when I think of creativity also is just like the oral traditions that we have, um, you know, and how we tell stories passed down from one generation to another, you know, I find that to be an inspiration and why you know, a lot of us have to need to tell these stories, you know, um, my grandmother was was one of those people, you know, oh, wow. she was one of the inspirations for my film, The Housemaid, you know, and she, uh, so she's no longer with us, but I'm glad that she was able to, uh, to tell these stories in, um, before she passed away, because those stories will be forgotten otherwise, you know, and that creativity, I feel that that's creative, you know, and, you know, my grandmother, I love her to death, um, but there's a fine line between what is real and what isn't. So, you know, <laughs> and I think I, I hear that this is a Vietnamese thing uh, that, you know, the lines between what is real and what is fictional or what is conjured or what is, you know, you know, memory is fluid a lot, you know, and you don't know exactly if it's what would actually happen during a war and what, what was conjured or a memory of something that could have happened, you know? So I find that to be creative and interesting, you know? And my work also deals with that a bit too, so. I wonder a lot about um, the generation that came out of Orange County um, at about our age mm -hmm. and the creative class uh, that comes out of Orange County because um, if you think about the population, there should have been more, but obviously, you know, we were busy surviving and, and whatnot, mm -hmm. and our parents were busy, you know, pushing other, uh, you know, a career paths, which is a completely understandable, but totally how did you, how did you get 
you because you're you know you're um you're you're not yeah. one of these young kids that have you know parents that uh that were open to to doing whatever you know our our generation's different so i'm right. curious how you sort of um escape that uh that paradigm right well i didn't escape it <laughs> <laughs> I actually um, applied to university in aerospace engineering. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted to, um, you know, go into space. I was really into, I, I, I went to space camp. I wanted to be an astronaut and all that stuff. But in high school, you know, I was really active in not only sports, but also theater and, you know, all of that type of stuff. And once I got to college, I soon realized that that, that engineering was not my calling you know, and um, it, it became very apparent very soon, you know, and um, I had to break it to my, my family, you know, I was like, this is not what I want to do. And they were resistant, you know, uh, as any immigrant, you know, refugee family would, you know, I understand that, like, coming to this country took a lot of sacrifice and it, and, you know, the idea of having their son going to a, a a career path that is very um is not very stable you yeah. know is was something that they were resistant to but i think that once i started um getting um my work out there they started to understand a little bit more you know and i started actually making money it was just something that they were really worried about and i totally understand that you know um and, and so they started to become more supportive of what I was trying to do. And interestingly, my, my family is actually pretty creative. You know, I have a, my sister was also in film, you know, um, I have a cousin that's a DIT in film. And so there's always, there, there has been a creative streak in our family that in some ways is inescapable, I guess, you know, it was just kind of like in our DNA, I guess, you know, yeah. so. And that helps when there's like family, you said older sister or younger sister? My younger sister. Yeah. She actually went to uh, Chapman uh, University in film, you know, and so, uh, and worked at Sony for a while and everything. So um, we've all kind of been circling and when, when you're not the only one, you don't feel so alone right. in, the, in the family and that other people are also, um, you know, pursuing, um, you know, creative aspirations and um you know professions and so the rest of the you know family is like oh well yeah you can actually make a decent living and you can actually do something um that uh you know was impactful in the, in the arts you know did you play sports in high school did, is that something you mentioned <laughs> yes i did <laughs> what did you play um, i played football and i was a pole vaulter um and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I actually still love football. I love the NFL, um, which is something a lot of people say is a little uncharacteristic of me. But, um, but yeah, I was, I, I was actually captain of, for the freshman team. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I would I, never, I, I would never have guessed it. And, it, and you know, it's not, it's not like, um, it's just because a lot of the creatives, you know, in, in our circles, are not really sports people yeah. yeah and i don't know what that reason i've you know never thought about it but a lot of us are not into sports and um to be captain of the freshman football team is is a big uh, <laughs> it's a big deal what what high school did you play for i went to Catella high school in anaheim that's yeah. right in the heart of uh yeah <laughs> orange county yeah. yeah orange county you know and, and, and that's a big football community right yeah, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, we weren't very good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, it was fun to do it while I, I was there. And, you know, um, I, I did, I did feel like, well, there, interestingly, there were actually a lot of Asians at our school, mm. you know, and so, and, and so it was when I, when we were playing, there were other Asian, other Asian guys, you know, that were a part of the team, you know, um, we also had a lot of Latinos, you know, and so it's, it's Southern California, you know, it's, it's yeah. kind of, you know, unavoidable. Um, I mean, this is in the eighties, but, um, but it was still like, there was a large Asian, like some of my best friends were Asian, you know, um, growing up, but I still had, you know, the common 
Asian American identity crisis, you know, or uh, having a journey to understanding who I was as an Asian American and a Vietnamese American. That's definitely something that ended up happening. Um, but, uh, you know, I did feel like um, there were others around me that were, that looked like me. And, and some of them were really popular. Like my sister was super popular. She was a cheerleader and, you know, all that stuff, you know? So it was, uh, it, yeah. So I, I didn't, I might have a different experience than, yeah. than others that might have lived in places that were predominantly white, say, you know? Um, but I, we all still had the crisis. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think of these big foot, football schools like Modern Day and, you know, Edison yeah. High and, you know, all these big high schools in OC that send their their guys to, you know, yeah. collegiate sports. And but so how do you go from being, um, you know, football player to uh, what the transition from football player mm -hmm. to um, a dramatic arts major at UC Santa Barbara? Yeah, well, I I. Um have always been influenced by theater and storytelling and particularly film, you know? Um, I was in denial that that's what my career path was going to be, you know? Um, I would go from, you know, football practice to rehearse at uh, the school musical, you know? And, and so it was, it, I've always divided my time, you know, in, in, in those two areas. Um, I soon realized that also I, I wouldn't have been able to become a professional football player. You know, I was just too small, you know, and um, to be quite honest, I had more drive in telling stories than I was to become an athlete, you know? Um, and so to me, it, it was kind of like, there was an epiphany that happened in college that was kind of like, you know what? Um, you know, you really should pursue the things that you that you are passionate about, you know, and that was and that was storytelling, you know, and it first started in the theater because at the time I didn't think that I could make make movies, you know, like that was such a such a huge pipe dream, you know, I never thought that I, that, that would ever happen. And I never saw anybody who was like me making movies, you know. When did, that, when did that all change when you're like, I think I can write or direct something? I started doing it in college, you know, and I, I started, you know, uh, first in theater and I, and I took a class in dramatic writing and, you know, it was um, a, it was a life calling. <laughs> I, I, I found that I found what I wanted to do, you know, um, and I started creating, um, you know, dramatic pieces and comic pieces, actually, uh, for the theater for primarily Asian American actors, you know. Um, right. And we ended up, you know, creating things together. Was there any traction um, as you're writing these pieces? I mean, because the, the gatekeepers are not, uh, at that time, probably not paying attention mm -hmm. to. No, there wasn't any traction. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. Um, I wrote a play called Monster and, um, uh, and it, it, you know, it, it premiered at East West Players and, and also did readings around the country. And it was, and I, I ended up getting a, a, an agent because of this, this play. And so my agent had uh, submitted it to the Sundance uh, Theater Lab. And um, I ended up meeting with uh, Michelle Satter, actually, who's uh, the director of um, the uh, Sundance Institute's, uh, I believe it's right now, it's, the, it's just, she's the head of the labs and our artists uh, services, I believe. Um, but I spoke to her and she basically said, Hey, have you thought of like writing, rewriting this and adapting this to a screenplay? And I was like, huh, I I hadn't, you know. And so I went away, and a year later, I had a a, a screenplay adaptation of my play, and they said that I got into the screenwriters lab, 
you know, the Sundance Screeners Club. And I, that's, that's how things started to, to kind of roll, you know, right. for me. But, you know, my, I ended up getting a manager and the, at the time, this was like 2000, early 2000s. And um, at the time he was sending it out to everybody. And the, the <laughs> response from people is, we, we, we like your writing and, and all that stuff, but you have a Vietnamese American lead. There's no way we can get this financed, you know? And there's no way, you know, Hollywood is uh, going to finance a, a film and a rather large film because it, it encompasses also the, the Vietnam War um, that deals with a lead that is Vietnamese American. Right. And that was consistent. This was, this was a consistent um, note that, and response that I, that we got from, from all the studios actually. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I voiced my frustration to other Asian American creators and filmmakers. And we decided that, you know, we would try to do it on our own, you know, independently you know um and we didn't want to have permission anymore we didn't want you know and uh so we ended up trying to make our own films you know you you know during those years the early 2000s i remember always thinking to myself that of course we're not going to get a chance to make our own films uh here in the u.s you know vietnamese american or asian american themes uh or put our faces on screen because we are such a small fraction of the population, the the representation is it's going to be hard to have people buying in, you know, theatrical ticket sales to support a project that has a big budget like that. So all of that is logical for me as I was growing up, and perhaps today, obviously, it's a it's a very different landscape. But what do you think really kind of changed that what is the evolution of all that um starting from those early 2000s to today what do you think created all of this change well i think that you know um one of the factors i think is because um the leadership has changed you know i think that's the thing people started to like particularly asian americans are starting to um become some of the gatekeepers you know people who you know have grew up just like us wanting to see um, Asian American projects or films and, and their and representation on screens um, and in the media became those people who were making this, the decisions, you know? And it, I think it took a little bit of time for us to actually have, um, you know, get to that level in which we could actually impact right. the, the, the industry in general, you know, um, you know, the, the first waves of immigration, you know, and migration to the United States, we're just here to survive, right? You know, we're, we're here to, it, 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 again, like I was saying, it's like a pipe dream for us to actually work in the arts or in entertainment, you know, uh, we're not encouraged to do that. Um, once we, get into a position where there's more of us than other things. That's another thing is, is that right. you know, there are more Asian Americans in the United States than ever before. And so um, there's an audience. So the audience builds, right? And the gatekeepers become the people, you know, Asian Americans become gatekeepers. And so our stories are actually understood and for the first time, you know, and um, they're willing to actually have us tell the story rather than other people like white folks tell our stories, you know? Um, we are now becoming more educated in the, um, you know, in the industries in which we are working in, you know? So for instance, now parents are allowing us to go into cinematography, right. allowing us to go into fashion, you know? Perhaps it's because we've become a little bit economically stable, you know? I'm not saying that there aren't Asian Americans that are below the poverty line. There's absolutely a lot of a lot of people who are still living the struggle, you know, and that is definitely real. But the more of that, of the more of us who are um, establishing ourselves in um, not only economically but in the Amer American psyche, you know, um, it makes our stories 
more available. You know, it's, 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 people are more open to it. Right. Well, um, I want to segue here. Congratulations on uh, your signing with Synetic Media uh, for oh, management. Thank you. That's, you. Uh, you know, it's all over the all over my Facebook feed and it's, it's so wonderful, <laughs> so heartwarming to read it, you know, to see Thank it. Thank you. I wanted Thank to you. ask you um, just for our listeners and our audience, what, what is the difference between having, you know, a, a manager, an agent or a lawyer? I mean, they're all very uh, different <laughs> roles, but they're kind of like they sometimes they overlap. And I, I, I want to hear um, I kind of know, but I would love to hear it in detail. Uh, what the difference yeah. is and why it was such a big deal for you to sign with Synetic? Yeah. So a manager will, will be there for your, your whole career, you know, or at least for all of the different projects in which you are working on. Um, they, you could be working on a television show and you can be working on a feature film and your manager will guide you in, in the process of making those things happen. You know, agents are gen can generally pretty much generally, uh, we'll do things project by project, you know? So let's say I have a, uh, a project that is uh, a feature film that they can sell, you know? And, and so those things are a little different, you know, as far as like, you know, your career longevity is gonna be your manager, you know? Um, and sometimes it's your agent, but depending on your relationship, but generally speaking, your manager is the person that's right, right next to you throughout your career. They'll help you guide your career too, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, and agents can, uh, I've had agents for spe specific projects, you know? So for, for instance, you know, there was an agent that uh, sold the rights to uh, the housemaid, you know? And so I don't, I no longer have a relationship with that person after that was done, right? You know? And a lawyer is so necessary, I have to say. Um, I've had my lawyer for a long time, 15 years or something like that. Um, and um, they are the ones that actually advise you on the legal side. So um, they will help you with their own, you know, they, they normally entertainment lawyers have other clients that they can, you know, make rendezvous and introductions and all that stuff. But primarily they are ones that are helped you with contracts and negotiations and all of that type of stuff. Um, obviously they will be working with your manager and your agent at the same time um, on specific projects, you know? So they all function in rather different ways, but at, they overlap, you know? And so a lot of times people get a little confused by that. But I yeah, and I I asked you that to lead into the next thing, which is you are uh, you you write and direct in in different mediums, uh, podcast, uh, film, uh, plays. So there's just so much overlap in that, and I wanted to kind of segue again. You um, the the most recent thing that you wrote and direct is uh, Burning Bayou, which uh, I listened to the the first uh, the the pilot episode, and I loved it. Um, what was you. the inspiration for that? Well, I mean, there were two inspirations, actually. Um, my mother was a district attorney investigator in Orange County. And um, she was one of the very few women that, uh, at the time, who, you know, completed the police academy and also, like, one of the, I think the only woman of color to actually have done that and became a, a, an investigator. So as I was growing up, you know, she actually had to work with a lot of uh, Vietnamese gangs, you know, and so there was a lot of we, we, we talked about that a lot. And I was always fascinated by her life as a, you know, a Vietnamese refugee, and now, you know, is a district attorney investigator in Orange County, you know, and um, the the, the, that journey was has always been interesting. So I so I lived around this, you know, lived around um, this consciousness of investigations and um, law enforcement and what um, the cracks in law enforcement. Yeah, <laughs> and and so I, I always I always am very interested in in exploring that. The second inspiration was that. Um, was a case that was out of um, Sea Drift, Texas. Uh, and I learned about this quite a while ago, but, um, and I've always been fascinated by it, but basically it was a case in which there was a, um, a, 
pretty much a race war <laughs> between Vietnamese refugees in the Gulf um, who are recently arrived in, in the United States. This is during the early 80s, during the recession. And um, as you might know, the US government, once you know Vietnamese refugees were coming into the United States, they were spreading Vietnamese communities everywhere. Right. And they felt like um, the Gulf area was a good area to um, bring some recent refugees because Vietnamese people are really good. <clears throat> Sorry, Vietnamese people are really good at fishing <clears throat> and shrimping. And so um, what ended up happening was is that it was an influx of refugees. And uh, because of the recession, the local laborers um, felt threatened by it. Right. You know, it's it's very similar to what was happening in Detroit, you know, uh, in the Vincent Chin, um, you know, murder where, um, you know, basically white Americans were just saying, hey, you know, the Asians are coming in in order for us to keep our economic advantage. We need to um, stand up against them, you right. know, and so it ended up becoming pretty violent and the. Um, you know, the, what ended up happening was the laborers actually ended up recruiting um, the KKK, you know? And so there were cross burnings on, on Vietnamese houses and lawns and, you know, and threatening, um, you know, threatening messages uh, in the Vietnamese community by um, these laborers. And so I was, I, wanted to talk about this, but I wanted to also, uh, you know, relocate it because there was actually a film uh, by Louis Mao that was called um, Alamo Bay back in the eighties. But one of the things that I, when I saw it, I, I would think it, it's, it's about this area and about what was happening there. But the film was really focused on the, on the, on the fishermen, the white fishermen, you know, and huh. didn't really, yeah, I didn't, re and I would, I, I kind of got frustrated by that, you know, even though there was, a, I, I think he, he made a conscious effort and he's an amazing filmmaker, by the way. Um, and uh, it, it, I think that he was really trying to get the Vietnamese perspective on that, but I'm sure the, the Hollywood <laughs> execs were like, no, <laughs> we need to really focus on the white folks, right? And so for me, it was my way of talking about this in a way that is in the perspective of the Vietnamese American, you know, why why the podcast form and not film or play? Right. Well, I'll I'll, I'll definitely tell you that um, I am I love podcasts, <laughs> and one of the things that um, is a challenge for a, a project like this is is that the leads are uh, people of color. You know, um, the the one character, the main characters, one is a Vietnamese American woman um, who is a rookie uh, FBI agent, you know, and the other is an African American um, veteran of the FBI. And he, he actually um, is, uh, was trained in Vietnam to speak Vietnamese and to know the Vietnamese culture. So they're assigned this, this particular, um, this particular case. And I also relocated it to um, outside of New Orleans, which is a very large Vietnamese American um, community. Right. Um, and so for me, um, and with the advice of all of my reps, um, it was, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hard sell, you know, it's a period, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have the conventional, um, you know, leads that, could uh, green light uh, a, a series, you know? It's a little expensive, you know? And I was speaking to um, the Starfish Accelerator, which is a nonprofit that um, has basic, they, they, what they do is they um, create, for people of color and artists of color, they finance or fund, uh, I guess, a, well, they're proof of concepts right. for larger pop culture um, uh, works. So it could be a TV show or a feature, or it could be large, you know, art installations. So 
they were, um, I got a, a grant through them and they have been supporting this, uh, the, uh, the production of the pilot. So now what we'd like to do is release the pilot, which we are doing now, and seeing and proving to people that there is an audience, you know? And from there, we're, we're hoping to expand the pilot into a full po podcast season and or a television show, you know? Got it. It's, so but that it, it was very methodically right strategic. <laughs> it was strategic very strategic in, in trying to yeah um you know i have in my notes <clears throat> the agent the african-american male agent matt watson he says if i didn't join a gang i wouldn't be here and it really resonated with me because i was thinking like who would what writer thinks thinks about that like you you have to understand it from the other side to write a line like that. And the reason it triggered me uh, is because it shows empathy um, for wayward uh, teens or people who've gone down that that route and there's redemption uh, at the end of it, perhaps. I mean, just in that one line, uh, that's what I what, what I got personally, what I, what I got from it, um, because we don't get to hear uh, men of color sort of voice their that that perspective often and it really hit me and I thought that that was but now I kind of understand or I, I kind of have a clue of like that being exposed with your mother as a DA yeah but I don't know I'm just making I'm just extrapolating here yeah I mean I think that um you know there are communities where it is difficult to um not uh, it is difficult to protect yourself and your family without um, from other gang members without, you know, joining a gang yourself, you know, and I'm not saying that it is the right thing to do, you right. know, but I think that it is a reality for for some people in the world. Um, and I didn't want the thing is, is that for me, I didn't want to demonize the gang members, you know, there, there, there had to be there's a reason why gangs exist, you know? Usually for, they're from disenfranchised, lower economic um, standing citizens, you know? And the only way they might feel that they have power or they have a say, you know, in, in their surroundings is to band together, you know? And so it's, it, in some ways, you know, I'm just, I was just trying to see if other people can see that perspective, you know? And otherwise, you know, people get whacked, you know, and people yeah. get intimidated, people get extorted, you know. Um, again, these are, I'm not, these are not um, things that I champion at all, um, but I can definitely see the other side, you know, and, and why um, gang members exist, gangs exist. And especially during the 80s, especially recent immigrants, it's usually recent, recent immigrants, right? Um, and so um, I, I wrote that in there because, um, you know, I, Mac as a former gang member can actually investigate um, the gang activity in the case um, in a personal way. You know, in a lot of ways, these these characters are going through a lot of personal identity um, stuff, uh, and their journey is through this case. You know, um, Cheryl Carter is you know is going to understand what it means to be a Vietnamese American. You know, right? Very interesting juxtaposition. I I really enjoyed um, Matt Watson. Uh, he, you know, reminds me so much of Samuel Jackson and. Mm -hmm. But Chantal Thuy did an outstanding job. You know, shout out to Chantal. She's amazing. You yes. know, and I think that she there's she's gonna have an amazing career. I hope to work with her again. You know, um, I think that there's a she has an amazing voice. That's another thing. It's is that when you when you listen to her on the on the podcast, there's there's something very um, it really catches your attention. You know, and um, her her levels and the way she her inflections are, are really 
uh, dynamic. So, which is why I was very interested in working with her on this. Yeah, she's perfect for the role. I mean, it, it you can feel um, the disconnect uh, from being Vietnamese uh, through the way she carries herself, and it's it's very you know, it's very very cool to 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 listen to her and not see her on the screen because um, you know we're used to seeing her and she's she's yeah. done uh, quite a few few uh, she's been in TV and film now for for quite some time. So I want to ask you about this. This is uh, something I wonder about all the time. Properties like um, the stuff that we create for ourselves. Uh, the hard part is getting the word out, is the marketing part of it. What is the plan for a podcast like this? Like, do, do you make it and you just leave it to somebody else to do? Or is it something that you have to... <laughs> You have to. I really... wish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, being a creator nowadays, it's a, a lot of it has yes. to do with how you engage with the communities and your audience. You know, um, I am trying to bring this out to, um, you know, many different communities. Um, I get help from other nonprofits, and it's a really grassroots like effort to try to. Um, Bring this, bring this to audience members. You know, we're we're looking at um, primarily like Asian American and people of color as a as target audiences, and also women because you don't see a lot of women leading a thriller, you know, a, a crime thriller, you know. And so, those are the ways in which we're trying to capture our audience, you know. And um, it's a team, you know, and and many creators have to be a part of the effort because nowadays who tells the story is just as important as what the story is right completely understand yeah agree with that it's it's very difficult um if you don't understand the marketing machine of the entertainment business going into the business because that's like such a big component of how things get greenlit or even the success of something that we spend so many years trying to develop and figure out and finally you get it and it's you know you get it out there but you know you don't understand the numbers behind the product yeah i mean the reality is is that i also work as a producer you know and i have to i have to think about those things when when i um take on a project that i've created myself you know and think pretty deeply about what i'm trying to say is there an audience for it and sometimes I say, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway, you know? Um, but with this one, I think that we, it is going to be a collective, you know, effort to try to get it out there. And especially since the audience is going to help us get it greenlit for other iterations, for the whole season and for the, for the uh, television show. And I'm hoping that that's, uh, and, you know, it's difficult and it, and it takes a lot of effort, you know? Um, sometimes it's my least favorite part of it because I have, I yeah. feel uncomfortable promoting myself, you know, I get, but everybody who's talking about it is, it's like, you know, you're also doing it for the artists that are involved in, in the project and you want everybody to also bear witness to their artistry and creativity. Oh my God. I, I totally feel you on that promoting for ourselves. It's just the hardest thing. I, I talked to so Asian many of our, yes, <laughs> the, the humility aspect of it, where we're trying to keep in that, you know, uh, that humble mode. But at the same time, if, if we don't do it, nobody hears about it. And it's just so yeah. cringy to me to have to go through that exercise of, of getting the word out. That's the least favorite part. I love sitting here. I can sit in interviews the entire day, yeah. but to, to go out and, and market it. Uh, I don't mind having a team doing it, but when it comes to me having to kind of keep proclaiming certain things, it's just so uncomfortable. I, I feel you. And I think that um, it's how we might be raised. You know, um, I think that um, at least for my family and, you know, for other Asian American families that I know or folks that I know, um, it is improper to promote yourself, you know? And to have, and, and the humility is a part of our upbringing. It's right. a part of, and especially as um, immigrants, when um, we are told to kind of like, you know, 
tone it down tone it down you know just be a part of the wave and not and not ruffle any um rock the boat at all that it's against our um it's it's against our upbringing cultural values yeah yes and our cultural values to you know promote yourself and say you know I'm great. <laughs> um, but I, I, I do get constantly reminded that it's not only a, a, about promoting myself, but it's also about the piece itself and about, you know, I, I will go to bat for Chantal and Kier and all of the other actors in, in, in the um, in artists in the in the podcast, but I'm just less comfortable doing it about myself, you know? Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about yourself. Um. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go harder here. Um, I want to know about your time because you have a lot going on. You have population. You have writer. You have director. You have a lot of hats that you wear. Can you yeah. give me a breakdown on how all of that works uh, in your day? I'm an ox. <laughs> I'm a zodiac ox, and they say that oxen all they do is they're hard workers and they love to work. And I do, I love to work, mm. you know, I work on weekends, I work at night, you know, a, a good thing is, is that I don't have kids, you know? Right. And so it, th that doesn't take a lot of my time. So my creations, like my plays and my films are my kids, you know? And so I, I devote a lot of that time to them, you know? Um, the good thing is, is that, you know, um, I, I don't feel that work is work. I love it, you know? And, uh, I, I don't drag myself to work, you know, I actually get excited about, you know, going in and trying to make something happen, you know, so a day is pretty much, it changes all the time because whether I'm in production or whether I'm producing something or whether I'm writing something, you know, in the end, I just kind of like, I just uh, pretty much think ahead and hoping that Right. this story will resonate to somebody, you know, and, and that um, somebody, hopefully people will learn and uh, I'm giving opportunities to, for other people's voices to be heard and all of those type of things. I just think of the, the macro, you know, and, um, and I have to work a lot, you know, and I, but I enjoy it. So it's, yeah. it, it doesn't feel like work, you know? Um, and I think that's important. The population I, um, co-founded with uh, Minette Louie and uh, Molly Asher. And so we are um, producing works by underrepresented, you know, artists and filmmakers, and we're doing TV and film and um, podcasts. And, you know, our newest podcast, actually, uh, uh, sorry, our newest feature film, Catch the Fair One, is coming out February 11th. And um, we just... Uh, it won a couple of awards at Tribeca last year, and it's going to be um, released theatrically and on demand by um, IFC Pictures, uh, IFC Films, um, whom I love. They're amazing. They distributed um, The Housemaid in the U.S., so I, I think they're, they're just amazing. And so you just keep going, you know, you just keep going, and you, you, a day in the life for me changes every day. Right. I really enjoyed the housemate um, when it came yeah. out. It was it was awesome. Tell me about like that was a, a, the, your first film um, in Vietnam. Yeah, uh, yeah. What was that experience like? Well, it was incredible, actually. You know, um, I was fortunate enough to go back to Vietnam to make a film of, that's loosely based on my grandmother. You know, and um, I um, had the privileged to work with amazing producers, you know, um, Timothy Bowie and, you know, the folks at CJ Entertainment and um, HK Films. Um, it was a film that I felt was deeply personal, you know, um, and uh, although people say it's a horror film, to me, it's actually a um, gothic romance. <laughs> but they didn't know how to market a gothic romance, <laughs> whether in Vietnam or internationally. They were like, I don't know how to do this. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I, I wanted to talk about colonialism, you know, and how um, I used ghosts as a metaphor for how 
colonialism actually stays with a culture even after the mm. colonizers leave, you know? And so, uh, and I wanted to do it in a way that's entertaining, you know? That, that's one of the things that's kind of like my motto is, is that I want to say something, you know, whether it is political or sociological or whatever, but also have it in, in a entertaining way, you know? And um, so for me, The Housemaid was, was a, um, a film that was about colonialism, but actually was a ghost story, you know? And actually was a love story, you know? And, and how was it inspired by your grandmother? Well, um, so she loved to talk, to tell ghost stories. You know, she believed that ghosts lived in trees. So for instance, and so when I was growing up, I was kind of like, whoa, there's spirits in the trees. And then when I went to Vietnam, I saw all of these, um, I guess all of these, you know, orchards, those rubber plantations. And I learned about the, the brutal punishments uh, and conditions in which the Vietnamese workers had to endure as indentured servants to the French, you know, French um, plantation owners. And I thought that that was a really interesting way to, to talk about that history, but in, in a horrific, and also not back away from the horrific things that were happening to us, you know, to, to the Vietnamese um, workers. And so I decided to make something that was, that was unflinching about that, you know, and, but at the same time, you know, my, well, my grandmother was also a housemaid. <laughs> so oh. it was, so, so all of those type of things who, who ended up falling in love with the head of the household. So there was a lot of, those were the bits of inspiration. It's fictional, you know, and, and that's another thing that I, I like to do. I just look at real life situations, stories, and then fictionalize them, you know, and see how I can, uh, I can, um, I can create something that is not only entertaining, but also has something to say, you know, within this, uh, within this, the real stories, you know, it also gives me liberty to, to, to yes. the freedom to, to um, mold the, uh, the, the narrative, which might be better for entertainment service, uh, entertainment purposes or just storytelling, you know. And was your grandmother a housemaid for French colonial no, she no. was not actually. No, she was actually a housemaid for a uh, an upper class Chinese Vietnamese family. Wow, so. she must have so much to say, <laughs> so many stories. Yeah. yeah. And and this is your mother's mother. Um. So it's actually my my father's family. So okay. yeah. So there was a lot of. Um, yeah, so my actually my father was a lot of my father's family was from the north, even though we are southern, you know, and so uh, but when we speak, it's a mixture of of both Vietnamese uh, northern and southern dialects, mainly southern, but you know, we'll, we'll I call my mom now, you know, and I call my dad bull, you know, so right. it's, it, it's a mix. so it's yeah, it's a mix, yeah, so it's yeah. And and I understand Housemaid is being made into an American film right now, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I spoke with my producer Timothy Bowie, and and I had during my research, I was um, noticing a lot of the parallels that was happening in Vietnam's uh, plantations and the conditions there, and some um, of the conditions in the U.S. You know, and particularly in uh, the plantations in the south um and so i i i pitched this and 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 to uh you know him and then to cj entertainment and um however one of the things that i was adamant about is is that this was an african-american story this is this is an important thing about in black history in america and that i would not be the one who's directing it I would not be the one who is who is um, going to primarily write it. You know, I was here to hopefully tell some truths uh, from other from from another culture. You know, and so um, we have Dion Taylor as the uh, as the director. You know, um, he's an incredible director, and and then we have 
a you know a team of writers, including myself. Actually, I, I did co-write it um, with one of the <clears throat> with Jeffrey Fletcher, who was who won the Oscar for writing uh, Precious. As well, wow, it's an amazing team. Yeah, and so we so at the at the moment we're trying to get this get this together. We have a script and we're going out to cast and everything. But as you know, with COVID, things have been very difficult. You know, and so um, and you know the subject matter is a, it, it's a, it's also a horror film. It's much more a horror film than um, the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's called Grave Hill. And, you know, we're, we're trying to make that happen this year, you know. I'm excited for that. I'm very excited yeah. to, to, to see the translated uh, version of that. It's very different, which is what I encouraged everybody to do is, is that don't even think about the, don't even think about the original, you know, and uh, just, just go with the basic, you know, basic storyline or as inspiration. And they really did. It's very, very different, you know, and uh, and that's what I like about it is and, and applaud about it, you know, that it's a, because the culture is just different, you know, right. and and uh, we have to be, um, you know, we have to be true to the the stories and and how they are um, manifested in different ways, you know, and how these these stories are told. So, yeah, this uh, this <clears throat> sort of meaning um the colonial expression uh coming out from the housemaid the original uh, that you're you're using a housemaid as a vehicle to kind of express this idea of colonial and how it stays with us it are you doing the same thing uh with the um with grave hill are you um you know doing some sophisticated horror like get out uh in that vein um that's our that's our hope Yes, and and you know to compare anything to Get Out is amazing because because <laughs> it's like there's definitely a, a political undertone in it, but again it, it's like it is a it is a horror film it is a romance too actually and so um, if you get the if you get the underlying meaning great you know but I think that the on on anybody could experience it in any different level and multiple levels it's actually ideal right you know that right. one is entertained by it and then after leaving it one either starts a, it ignites a discussion or you learn something something from it you know what do your parents think of your career so far <laughs> god i don't know <laughs> um huh i think my i think well my dad has passed um but he's always he was actually pretty supportive you know um he he always kind of like was you know Derek do your thing you know and it took a while for that to happen you know uh, um and so but you know he was always very curious about what I was doing and um I think he was pleased that we were um that I was telling Vietnamese stories you know um so for me, I think that that, I mean, I, I just think of that and I'm just like, I'm so fortunate, you know, you, <laughs> you know, are, so fortunate you are fortunate to have, did, yeah. you know, parents that were Support. like, yeah, that was did, supporting me. Did he ever get to see the housemaid? Yes, he did. He did. And he liked it. I think that he, um, I, I, I think that there are, there are times when um, he, doesn't know how to express um, what he got from it, you know? Um, I didn't actually ask him too much about it because I didn't, there was a part of me that was kind of like, oh, maybe he hated it. So I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna dig deeper. <laughs> so I was, so I just allowed him to, to lead the conversation. Yeah. But he said that he said that he liked it, you know, which is enough for me really. Um, my mom has always been very supportive, you know, um, of of my career. Uh, she advised me on Burning Bayou. You know, I often call her and ask her about it because she she's she's lived some of this, you know, and so um, she's very supportive. And she says she's proud of me um, more often than I than I 
um, than I even asked for, you know? So it's, 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 a um, I'm, I'm blessed. And I know that I, I'm, I'm very fortunate. Sometimes I wish I can put together a quantifiable poll across cultures to see who's got the fucking best mothers. And I feel like the, <laughs> the Vietnamese, we yes. have the best mothers, but I can't say that like on a scientific, on a, you know, like yeah, some quantifiable way, but like my mom, in terms of support and in terms of just giving it a hundred percent to to my brother and I, yeah, I and I don't know if that's a Vietnamese thing or that's just a mother to son thing. Yeah, yeah, I do think that there's something about um, uh, particularly Vietnamese American mothers, you know, um, because a lot of a lot of the mothers that I know has gone through a lot for their kids, you know, wars and escape and you know all of these type of things that they don't take it for granted you know yeah you know and i think that there's there's something about that you know that and, and the thing is is that i find vietnamese american women to be very strong you know and i and, and i think that there's something about that that translates to being amazing mothers yes you know? yes you know i was telling my mom in a car ride yesterday i said uh, I, I know a lot of Vietnamese American men my age, and I don't know one of them that hates their mother or has a bad relationship. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's 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 hard to find. I'm sure they're out there, but you know, making a huge. And then I said to her, I followed up with, I don't know one of these guys that have a good relationship with their fathers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's this whole thing about mother daughters, uh, yeah. mother sons, fathers yes. daughters. Right. Yeah. And this is like, this is like all over all cultures. Right. Um, I surprisingly actually had a great relationship with my father, you know, towards the, you know, like at the beginning, it was a little trying, but um, I think that, you know, he started to really understand me a little bit more. And I think that particularly after I came out to him, you know, right. And I was, I was just being much more honest about who I was and, and all that stuff. And so for him, I think that, he started to really appreciate that I was, um, you know, inviting him into my my reality, you know, and who I am. And ever since then, and this was many years ago, um, ever since then we had a, a better relationship because we I think we understood, you know, each other on a, on a very intimate level, you know. Um, was your situation with your parents one of where it was a complete surprise to them or they knew and it just was just not spoken about? Um, so my, my parents are divorced, was divorced and, and remarried, you know, and so um, their reactions were a little different. You know, I uh, when I came out to my mom, I was much younger than when I came out to my dad, you know. And my mom guessed it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I was like, okay, so she kind of guessed it. She knew, you know? So, yeah, yeah. And, um, but with my dad, I, it was, I had to actually tell him, you know? And um, I think it was a combination of just not, um, of denying it, you know? And, and, or not even wanting to uh, acknowledge it at first, you know? Um, Although I told him, it, we didn't talk about it for a long time, like for years, you know? And then when, when he finally, you know, when we finally were able to talk about it, um, you know, he was, he became, I, I, I think it took him years to really right. understand, you know? And as an immigrant man, you know, wanting to, you know, and especially an Asian man, a Vietnamese man, you know, we're constantly demasculized, you know, we're, we're constantly being seen as, as, as weak, you know, and I think that those are things that um, he carried with him when I came out to him, you know, and I think that after a while, he started to understand that, you know, being gay isn't, isn't a weakness, and it wasn't like being uh, effeminate, really, you know, and, and I think that that really kind of like, changed our relationship you know um he was he's very supportive of my husband you know i've been with my husband for 22 years now you know and so uh you know 
they all and my my mother you know is very in you know very just loves my husband <laughs> so it's so it's so it's there's a i think that 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 all kind of helped in in our relationship because i can finally kind of like be honest with them you know yeah you sound like you have super uh supportive and progressive parents yes but not all of my family is that you know uh I, and i think that that's what made me appreciate them more that they were willing to just kind of go well i don't give a fuck what you say what, yeah. what you're saying or what you think you know and i think that that was i think that that is what again drew us closer do you have projects coming up um in vietnam i have an idea for a project uh, and it's quite large in scope i can't tell you about it though <laughs> no problem um, yeah, it's it's something that I have been mulling over for probably 10 years now, you know, it was an idea that I had before the housemate, you know, um, but it is it, it's something that I've been, I, I think that I'm not in the position, I'm not where I should be in my career to make this thing happen as far as my being the director of it. So I am, um, I am, I am waiting and, and gestating. <laughs> how, how how do you know that like how do you know where you are in your career to make i mean i think mm -hmm. i know the answer but i would like yeah. to hear and explore it out loud uh by you mm -hmm. by, by you talking about that what, what does that mean it means that i want to have more experience um as a director to take on a project at this scope you know, and I think that I, I feel like I can do it. I don't know if other people will give me the opportunity to do mm. it just yet and the way that I want to do it, you know. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be patient, you know, I'm trying to, to look at the, you know, ahead and um, get myself in a position where I can also have my creative freedom in it, too, you know, because um, it's not a project that's going to, uh, you know, that, you know, it's a studio project. It would have to be a studio project because of the budget, you know. And so, um, those are things that I that I am considering. You know, it doesn't mean that I I'm not working on it. It doesn't mean that. And hopefully, maybe I can, I'll make it next year. Right. But, um, but one of the things that I I'm I I like to tell many stories. I, I'm like one of these people that. I never get writer's block, you know? I'm always constantly, I have a Creating. database of yeah. stories that I want to, that I want to tell, you know? And whenever I have an inspiration, I write it down, you know? And I put it in this database, you know? And now it's like hundreds of entries, you know? Most of them are bad. <laughs> well, be very honest, most of them are bad, you know? But at least I, I wrote it down and, and, and I'm able to refer back to it if, if you know? Um, I have the worst memory in the world. So that's why I write, you know, because then I feel like, you know, there's at least a document of it. I can refer back to it because I, there are times when I walk down the, the stairs and go, why did I walk down here for? So <laughs> <laughs> that process of, of writing um, all of this bad stuff or all of this stuff just to file it away is part of the process. It's the part yes. of the whittling, whittling down to get to what we need to get to, to, to make the other stuff shine. And many times they're, oftentimes they're, they're affiliated and they, they have overlap too. Yeah. I think it, I mean, this, it, it, it all just kind of overlaps, right? It's, it's, a, it's that learning process. It's how you get to that, to that point. Right. And then you become more discerning about what you want to do and how you, how, how you want to shape your career, you know? Sometimes people just have a career and they, it wasn't planned, you know, Yeah. but, you know, I, I have not had that experience, you know, and I, I kind of, you know, have to figure out how to get there, you know, um, and, uh, you know, it's like Lord of the Rings, you have to like get the map and you, know, you have to go through this, <laughs> you have to go through the, the forest and, you know, through the hills and all that stuff to get to Mordor, you know, and you have to be more methodical about it. Uh, yeah. If you're lucky enough to actually just land in Mordor, that's great, you know, <laughs> but. <laughs> Derek, thank you so much for that, um, you know, the honesty, because, you know, that makes a whole difference, you know, when young people listen to, 
these kinds of podcasts where they can you know understand that it's not it's not rosy uh the journey um in the in in filmmaking and, and writing directing it's not easy and yeah. things don't just come when you want them to come and and things sometimes come when you don't want them to you know they're just yeah. all over the place and you can't really can't really track it I, I want to ask you um where can we listen to burning by you what uh, platforms yeah. are is it available on yeah so it's on spotify and uh, it's on um google um but the easiest way is just to go to burningbyou.com and it'll take you, take you to all of the different platforms that it's uh, available um and so we we just um uh released it uh, the, the pilot and um you know, so it's out there for free and, you know, we're, we're hoping that you guys enjoy it. Yeah. I loved it. And I hope everybody listens to it. It's wonderful. And let's, let's, you know, put some numbers behind it so we can get this whole uh, series made so we can all enjoy. Uh, I want to know what happens next. <laughs> I have the whole series in my head. So <laughs> but thank you so much. It thank was great you. talking to you. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcast. Thanks again for listening.